I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of pig. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtitles. Dialects and subtitles. Hello and welcome to another thrilling instalment of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt and Stephen. We're here to talk about this week a film called Target Earth. We are still in 1954. We had Devil Girl from Mars in 1954 that we've reviewed. You can listen to that episode. Gog was in 1954, which we've just done as well. Uh, Target Earth is in 1954. And there's another robot movie on the horizon that we'll get to called Tobor the Great, which was also 1954. Why do you think 1954 has been so fertile for robot films? I think it's because science fiction films were, were... Blooming in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, The Thing from Another World in 51, The Day of the Earth Stood Still, 51, War of the Worlds in 53, mm. Phantom from Space, 53, Invaders from Mars, which was a biggie, 1953, It Came from Outer Space, 53, and then we hit the 54s, which are probably being massively inspired by all of those. Yeah. You can't walk two minutes without falling over a robot, can you? Replete with robots. Now... <laughs> All of those ones I've just mentioned, they were all invasion films. Okay. So, but Target Earth was the first invasion film with robots. Well, I say robots, plural. We'll come to that, shall we? Mm-hmm. We'll come to that. Just very briefly, like a plot synopsis, because this film is quite hard to find, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it you, you had to do an awful lot of trawling on the dark web. For this I one. did, I did. Um, I have to hide now for at least a fortnight. I have to go blind on the internet because of where I went to find this film. Um, and you found a colourised version. If you're interested in, in this AI colourisation, it's quite interesting in that uh, the two women in there would wear necklaces and the AI just sees sees that as the top of their dress, so underneath the necklaces. It's all the same colour, yeah. yeah it is, I, I did notice that. I didn't realise it was that. That's so interesting. I felt that almost I would have preferred to have watched it in black and white Yeah, yeah. than, um, than colourised. I couldn't find it as a, in a decent version in black and white. No, that's fair enough. I don't blame you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, not laying any blame anywhere for that. I am. Um, <laughs> now, if you've never seen, she is. I'm wanted by Interpol now <laughs> for getting a substandard colorized version. Um, so, if you've never seen Target Earth, and I don't blame you if you haven't, then just very just to give you a sense of the plot, it is. It's it's a sort of it's a bit felt a bit Day of the Triffids at the beginning. Um, it's essentially it's like a group of people who wake up and they're they're in an abandoned Chicago. Everyone has left Chicago. They were all there when they were, when they went to bed, and for one reason or another, they all slept quite a long time. And they've woken up, and everyone has gone from uh, Chicago. And you've sort of you don't know why until sort of midway through the film when we sort of discover that the whole of Chicago was evacuated in twelve hours. <laughs> Half a million people in 12 hours because uh, of an invasion of robots from Venus. Yes, Venus. The most inhospitable place in our solar system. Yeah. Bar Mercury. <laughs> yeah. There is, and there's a bit of science that comes up, isn't there, where where one person is speculating on why it's Venus. Uh, the, lead, the lead male character, um, who's played by Richard Denning, 
uh, who's called the character is called Frank Brooks, who sort of becomes the sort of de facto head of this little band of of kind of survivors who are trying to work out what they've got to do and where they've got to go. He basically posits the thought that the the, the robots must be from Venus because he says that it's the most hospitable, it's got clouds and it could sustain life. And it's like every single scrap of information that he gives about Venus is completely wrong. <laughs> yes, he doesn't really mention the contents of the clouds, which is probably some form of acid. <laughs> yes, or the fact that it's so close, being the second planet closest to the sun, that its temperatures yeah. are, you know... Too tad, hot. Too tad hot. hot. Too hot. We but have anyway. been there. The Russians have been there. They did to... land a probe on there. What? There is footage of <laughs> the surface of Venus. Yeah. I did not know that. When did the, they do the that? The probes, oh, quite some time ago, the Americans were bouncing because they'd put a probe on Venus. The probe didn't last very long. It, it got incinerated and crushed. Yowzers. I know. That is extraordinary. I didn't even realise that. Yep. Are you sure you're not falling for some rusky propaganda? I might have dreamt it, Matthew. <laughs> I might have. I'll check that. If, and if that's true, I, that is definitely going in the show notes. Citation all, needed. All, all attached videos to that I will definitely put in. So this film is one of the first to use the empty world premise. Uh, it was not explored in big-budget Hollywood movies until On the Beach, which is a famous film, and The World, the Flesh and the Devil. When are those films? End of years? the 50s. Okay. So it's, on the beach being the most famous, um, because it feels like it's such a it's such a well worn trope now, doesn't it? It is now, yeah. You sort uh, of wake 20, up twenty eight days later. Yeah, yeah. Get wake the up, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of the sort of look of the film? I mean, this is in it's a low budget independent film. I, I, I think we probably need to establish that, don't we? Very low budget. They just made the big monumental mistake of not going with the premise which is uh, there's something menacing on its way. You don't really, they don't really know what it is to begin with. It, mm. it starts like an art house film. So the camera pans round this room with the items in the room and you're left like a Hitchcock film to kind of make an opinion of that person through the items in the room, Yeah, which is like a clock, window, the bed, the woman in the bed and a, a bottle of pills. An empty bottle of sleeping pills. Yeah. Yeah. Which, she, which she tends, she wakes up incredibly refreshed from. <laughs> she took just the right amount to have a good night's sleep. She, I thought that the and the, the the way the camera moves in that first scene, I think, is lovely. It is. I think it's beautifully directed that because it's almost like a one shot thing, isn't it? Where the camera is just moving around, yeah. really effortlessly and beautifully. It's and like there's a an mirror. Art house film. It is, isn't it? And yeah. it, as you say, it really reminded me of. I'm, I'm going to say um, Psycho, the beginning of Psycho. Yeah. With um, Janet Lee in bed Janet in that Lee. film, isn't she? Which was a revolutionary scene there in Psycho because um, I don't think women were ever seen in their bras, especially on a bed with a man. Mind you, their feet are on the floor. But there's this uh, kissing session that Hitchcock perfected in that you weren't allowed to have a kiss, which is a certain length. So what he did was he'd get them having a conversation and they're kissing. Like, as if Brilliant. they're full stops and commas. Yeah. That's good. But you think Psycho is early 60s? Yes. And this is mid-50s. Yeah. So in many ways, it's um, it's pre-Hitchcocking Hitchcock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that opening scene. I thought it was lovely. And I think, actually, the scenes that come after that look really great. Yeah. So she, she wakes up and uh, she's tried to kill herself, but she's failed. And, and she's sort of like... 
as you say, really refreshed and perky. Yeah. <laughs> and goes around. She's living in a shared house. Yeah. She knocks for people and there's no one around. So she goes outside and looks up and down the street. And I, I read that they, they shot this film really early in the morning. Yeah. So that they could get, you know, streets without things on, which I think is really cool. And they did that in 28 Days Later as well. Yes. Famous opening scenes. So that, I thought that was really cool. And I thought that I, my one impression of this first scene where she's basically, she's, this, this woman is, is sort of slowly realising that something's wrong. That it's no ending. electricity, no gas. That's right. All the, all the facilities are shut, shut down and there's nobody around. And so she starts walking and then she starts running like she's being panicked. And I thought to myself then that a high heel is not the ideal footwear for when, when the world ends. Because <laughs> she gets chased by Frank not long after that. And yeah. I mean, she doesn't stand a chance. They repeated all of that in one of the Jurassic World films with Bryce Dallas Howard. And she runs around in the entire film in a pair of high heels. And she even outruns a T-Rex. <laughs> is the T-Rex also in high heels? In a spoof <laughs> on YouTube, it is. And oh, that spoof is hilarious. Okay, I'll find that. I'll stick that on the show notes as well. <laughs> so, so Nora, who's this woman who's woken up and is sort of like, we're seeing the world through her eyes. She, <laughs> I love the fact that she's sort of, she's looking around, she's like, oh no, where is everybody? And then all of a sudden she just trips over a corpse in the street. I mean, sort of beautifully out laid out. It looks yeah. like she's hit her head on a radiator. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, and then we meet Frank, who is who then becomes a hero, but at the be- right at the beginning, she's a bit frightened of him and she, so she runs away. And she then is the recipient of a face slap to calm down. He just says to her, I'm not going to hurt you. And then he slaps her. Yeah. Now, I, I meant to mention this when we chatted about Gog, because there's a, a calm, calm down face slap in that. And it really reminds me, one of my absolute favourite films is War of the Worlds, the 1950s one. 1953. And so I first watched that when I was about eight. And there's a, there's a calm down face slap in that as well. And I can remember as an eight-year-old in the 80s thinking that's quite weird. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's in loads of films. They just slap yeah. women who are screaming. Yeah. And the, and the women are then suddenly really grateful for having been sort of snapped out of their hysteria. And then miraculously fall in love with them. <laughs> yeah. Which is what happens in this film. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He hit me, so I want to spend the rest of my life with him. Yeah. But I don't, again, I don't know if it was just a film style of the time or if it's a 1950s thing, but in that sequence, so, so this guy Frank kind of like um, makes her realise that he's not a threat by, slap, <laughs> by slapping her. He is creepily just behind her when that's, she... Re- that's what I was just about to say. I've said that he really invades her personal space. Is that because... Of the, it's the 1950s, and so men were just like that, just always like looming very, very close. Or is that a star, film style, or is it just is it just odd? I think it's just odd. I think it's just in this film because he does look. He literally looks like he's killed the woman that's laying there. And, yeah, uh, and he's, he's about to kill her, and yeah. he, he chases her. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. It's isn't just, it? yeah, it's really weird. Oh. Yeah, so I thought that was that was you know. Oh. That's that's not the only thwalloping she gets as well. No, it is not, is it? She gets, no. but she gets slapped again later by somebody else who does intend harm to her. But she must be very confused because one man <laughs> slapping her because he's fallen in love with her, and one man <laughs> slapping her because he wants to do her harm. 
Uh, <laughs> it's a different time. It, well, I suppose it is a different time. It <laughs> is. Um, and then, so, so we've got Frank and Nora, who then meet two other characters in a, a bar, um, and those people are called Vicky and Jim. And they're just, they're, I mean, it's, you've got this, it's been really serious up until this point. And then you've got this quite comedy scene, haven't you, with Vicky and Jim? They're hard-boiled, though. So there's two different types. You've got the characters in screwball comedy, like Bringing Up Baby uh, and the women and things like that. It is comedy, but they're bickering. But then it moves into a kind of a hard-boiled kind of way. They're at each other and they're funny, but there's a, there's a kind of a there's kind of a sinister honesty about it. Okay. Because, yeah, they are like that. I mean, basically, they're, they've realised that no one else is in town and they've just gone and got drunk in a bar. Well, she plays a beautiful piano, though, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. In fairness. Um, and so they're absolutely hammered on champagne in a bar. And, and Frank and Nora meet up with them and sort of persuade them that they need to move on. And the reason why they missed the evacuation is because they were hammered the night before and they slept through it. That's right. And Frank has revealed that he was attacked wasn't he? He was basically like knocked out by an assailant and left in a dumpster. Yes. So no, he's got no he's mark on him. No. <laughs> and it suits immaculate. At this point, now that we've been introduced to most of the characters, I would just like to point out there are no hats in this film. Do you know what? I had not noticed that. Oh, I did. Well, now I, I won't be able to not notice that ever again. You'll yeah, never why, watch this why? film again, Matthew. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> why? Yeah, why? Why no, no. hats? The hatage disappears. Yeah. So, so the hats. I mean, you know, going back to the day the Earth stood still, 1951, all the newsreaders wore hats in the studios. They did. So everyone was wearing hats, and then now no one is wearing hats. No. The age of the hatage was fleeting. <laughs> <laughs> three years. Only three years. So we've seen everybody now that we need to see. They've all moved on. And I have to say, the two drunks sober up incredibly quickly. Very quickly. I mean, they are slurring their words and tottering around in the bar. And then as soon as they come outside into the fresh air, they Which you think would knock them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty close after that that we see the robots for the first time. And well, we get robots, introduced to one more character. <laughs> oh, go on, sorry, yes. Which is the... Kind of a squirming, quizzling sort of character. Yeah. Who um, he joins them, and then we see the very first iteration of the robot army. Well, I say robot army now. Yes, Stephen. You mean <laughs> robot singular? Singular. Yeah. In this case, just a massive shadow on the building. That's right. Yeah. That makes you think. Wow. I was. I was like, oh wow, they are properly going to be enormous like stepping over buildings kind of huge monsters kaiju type yeah yes exactly and yet it isn't <laughs> so they run across the road into this hotel hide behind couches and then they find a newspaper that explains and everything. why have they hidden behind a couch because <laughs> this robot is going to kill them because because they've obviously know that the chair in all its forms oh, is the natural enemy of, of the robot. <laughs> <laughs> well spotted, Mister Brown. Uh, and it's not long after that that Mister Quizzling fella decides that he wants to go it alone, and he's going to run out, and he runs out into the street. 
and uh, then we finally see the robot. We do, but not before. So we have this lovely sequence, and it, uh, it couldn't have been filmed better, I think, in terms of it being a, f- a very funny reveal of the robot, because you've got you've got the the guy who's run outside. You see him. You see him sort of like stagger around, and then he sees the robot, and we've we just got a shot of his face, and it's a proper sort of like no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then you cut to the robot and the robot. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe the robot. I have my own description, but go go ahead. Okay, so I I mean basically like the first thing I noticed it was the torso of the robot, and I've just described them as Alexis Colby, Joan Collins, <laughs> Dynasty shoulder pads. Oh, that's much better than mine. <laughs> and then it's a cinched waist. Yeah. Um, it's got a uh, duct. Uh, ducting pantaloons, uh, pincers. It's got a mono eye. It's got the slowest death ray in the world. And then defies physics. <laughs> it defies <laughs> physics. It, it has serious mobility issues. Serious mobility issues. I'd tiniest say. feet. The tiniest feet seen. with um, kinky boots. I've put on because they <laughs> are. When you see them later on, they are. Oh, they're like pixie boots. <laughs> they are like pixie boots. <laughs> and the loveliest touch is that they've got taps on their shoes as well. Jingle so, taps. So they, whenever they walk, they walk so slowly. You just <sighs> hear them tip tapping around. It's a, it's a delight tap, isn't it? It's a very light so tap. So he's loosened, he's loosened the screws so that it's just slightly <laughs> loose, so it makes a jingly sound yeah. on his well, tiny, tippy toe feet. It's, it's almost like... <laughs> it's almost like the robot is made of very light material, isn't it? Well, <laughs> that's because it is. The most expensive part of the robot was the ducting legs. Was it? Yeah. Is it made of cardboard? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what is what it looks like? <laughs> so I, um, my description of it was it's like a brutalist architecture. Yes, love it. It is. It could be. It could be a car park in a in a dismal new town <laughs> in England. <laughs> yeah, designed by Joe Collins. So in an interview with Tom Weaver, Herman Cohen explained that they had one robot suit for the production, and that it was built in his garage. Right, yeah. And so, we, like you said, we only ever see one robot. Although that robot is used... I mean, we sort of see two robots, don't we? We never see them together, obviously, but they, they, there's a robot that they've captured and, and experiment on to try and work out what to do. And then there's also the robot who's wandering around Chicago, the one and yeah. only robot. Which but, is on screen for yes. 1 minute 50 seconds. Is it what, in total? Yeah. That is good. I mean, it's a short film, isn't it? It's only about 74 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But that is... Well, it, it doesn't appear until 28 minutes in. Yeah. Uh, this robot in Target Earth, because of the death ray, and uh, it really reminded me of the War of the World's Aliens. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I would say that the War of the World's Aliens, now obviously it's like you're dealing with a much bigger budget, aren't you? So it's, it's It's very difficult to compare. But I thought that the special effects in that War of the Worlds 1953 film were brilliant. Oh, stunning. I love them. Everything from the soundscape, from the, the, the sound of the, the death ray yeah. to the way they got the death ray. Yeah. Oh, just loved it. I, I loved that film when I was a kid. Yeah. Ticked you, every box. The other film that I thought about when I was watching this was the Kirk Douglas movie, The Bad and the Beautiful. 
Oh, wow. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's where he's... A, it's nothing to do with science fiction, but he's a filmmaker, um, and one of the first first things he's got to direct is Re- like Revenge of the Cat People. Oh, and okay. so the, in the story of the film... He goes to the costume department and realizes that the costumes are awful and te- you know just not terrifying at all. So he makes the decision that you're never going to see the cat people. All you'll do is you'll see the effect of the cat people, or you'll see shadows, or and I I, I feel like they really should have done, done, taken that approach with this film. Well, this is this is something that's happened in lots of films, like mm. uh, Night, of the, Night of the Demon, Jaws. Yeah. Night of the Demon, the director did not want to have um, a, a physical demon in it. Yeah. I mean, it looks great, but it literally only appears towards the end. Yeah. You get a hint of it. But he wanted it all smoke and mirrors and yeah. terror. And I think yeah. they, sh- they definitely should have done this with this film. Because it feels like they've fallen fallen betwixt two stools three stools three stools definitely three stools definitely <laughs> maybe three. four no. but the idea that they... they didn't have a budget for four stools <laughs> they went <laughs> that they made they they thought we've got no money so we'll only make one because that's all we can afford yeah yeah and we won't show it very much but it's the least terrifying thing in the world isn't it they would have just been better not showing it at all doing the trick with shadows oh, that they did on the wall in the in the first sort yeah. of 15 minutes and that gives you a hint and i think that would have been great but i like that there's a description we get a description of the of these robots that have invaded earth and we also see what they're capable of we see the death ray in action because it blows up airplanes um and but they're described by one of the one of the sort of officials, as an army of machines incapable of pain, fear or compassion and practically indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> you think, I've no evidence of that. <laughs> no, and I do like the bit where they're examining the um, the robot and there's a couple of wires hanging out and he fiddles with the wires and then this general says, ah, so that's what makes it tick, electronics. <laughs> And they they keep like handing that that general things, don't they? That look yeah. just like things that we have, like little coils of wires and things. And he's like, "I've never seen anything like this." Whilst then also saying things like, "If we can find a way to destroy the cathode ray cathode tube, ray tube. <laughs> which is essentially a television." Yeah. But again, it's another one, a bit like Robot Monster, where this futuristic technology seems to be sort of technology that we've got. <laughs> Which they don't use very well. That's right, yeah. At this point, I've just written my notes that I've written down are my God, this is so boring. And then we've got the on the other side, I suppose the other the other storyline is quite exciting, which is where our foursome, whilst hiding out in the city, are sort of like attacked by a criminal who's on the run called Davis. He um, turns up. While the women are sleeping. Yes, exactly. And he's got a gun. <laughs> but again, even though it seems like they could just knock the gun out of his hand quite easily. And, On several occasions. Yeah. But they don't. No. Um, and he ends up killing Vicky. Vicky. And then Jim, who, who who's Vicky's partner, ends up strangling Davis I quite in like the most his extraordinary death. way. Think, yeah. yeah. It was quite satisfying. It was. Because Jim is quite a big bloke. Yeah. And he just grabs him by the neck. He's knocked the gun out of his hand and he grabs him by the neck and then he just lifts him up against a wall and strangles him to death. 
very satisfying. <laughs> it was. I, just, mm. I thought it was good. He was a horrible character, Davis, and totally got his comeuppance. And then after that, we get the most scenes that the robot's in as it crashes through the window yeah. with his jingle taps on. <laughs> tap dancing through the window. <laughs> tap dancing up the stairs and tap dancing onto the roof. Yeah, climb stairs. Yeah. I mean, I thought that they made a very sensible choice running up the stairs to hide from the robots. This, I thought there's no way his little pipey legs would be able to cope with the stairs. <laughs> his kinky pixie boots. But they, he walks all the way up the stairs and then they gets to the roof and there is the... Um, and, then, and then the robot kills Jim. Yeah. So Jim dies. <laughs> And then it's so slow to try and kill off the other two that eventually the scientists work out that that these these robots can be defeated by this sonic this this noise that they just sort of like play in the streets and and the robot basically just just t- t- falls over. It's just ridiculous the way it falls over. It's, it's, so it's just insane. It's so ridiculous. And he has a kind of little death flutter with his arm. Yeah. I now, mean, do you think this is where Tim Burton got the idea from for the end of uh, Invaders from Mars? Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks, sorry. Uh, the ending of Mars Attacks is they realise that the uh, the brains of the creatures inside the domes that they've got is susceptible to a certain kind of yodelling sound. <laughs> yes, I think it's very much based on and that. And there is a particular kind of uh, star. They, uh, they use Slim Whitman... Um, records to explode the Martians' heads in yeah. Mars Attacks. What's happening to him? What's killing him? I think it must be my music. I mean, that must be. That is, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I love it. Tim Burton is going to be a love of these films, isn't he? Of course he is. Of course he is. But and then there's this ludicrous, I mean, absolutely ludicrous bit at the end where um, where Frank and Nora are picked up by the army and they sort of, you know, describe what they've been through. And then the, this, the soldier explains to them what's going on and that this sound is the thing that has defeated the, the robot and then says... But we're lucky this time because if the if the cathode ray had been made of metal, then the robots would have survived. And it's like they're setting up Target Earth 2, aren't they? Yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of expected that Flash Gordon, when the end comes up at the end, it would just have a question mark, you know. To be continued. Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that Target Earth didn't get a sequel. So do you know who's inside the robot? No. Steve Calvert. Steve Calvert? So Calvert worked as a bartender. We've been through this before at the famed Sunset Boulevard nightclub, um, Kairos. Yeah. Uh, and he bought all of the gorilla suits off the <laughs> Crash Corrigan. Amazing. He bought them for $1,800. Now, how much would that have been worth in 1950s? Hang on. He bought them in 1948, so he bought more than one ape suit. I think he bought all of his ape suits. It, it apparently would have the same purchasing power as twenty-two and a half thousand dollars. Wow! In 2023, we made good use of them. He did, so, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So was he in a gorilla suit underneath the robot suit? <laughs> Just to give him that extra D- Dallas Dynasty shoulder padsy. Yeah, it would make sense of his restricted oh. movements. 
as, so the, as a robot. So, so the um, the robot besuited actors carry on. Yeah, they do. Oh, the, one other thing. Sorry, one other thing I found out that the, there is a connection between Target Earth and Robot Monster, which is that it the screenplay was done by the same person. Ah, really? So Wyatt Ordung um, was one of the writers of Target Earth. And he also wrote uh, Robot Monster. Did he learn anything, Matthew? <laughs> well, is Target Earth a better film than Robot Monster? Yeah, it's character-driven. There's parts of the film that really stand up well, I think. The characters in it are engaging. They yeah. should have they should have kept the robots out of it. And just hinted at a yeah, sinister I, thing. I agree. I agree. And, and get rid of all the military stuff as well. I think yeah, that would have been too better. boring. So let's rate the robot in Target Earth. What do you think? <sighs> Zero numbers again. It's really terrible. Yeah, it's it's so bad. It's so, so terribly realised. Um, and again, it's the th- another thing that we have that we've said a lot before in films that when you set up a thing as being like the the, the potential end of humanity, then it's got, it's got to work harder than the robot in this film. Oh yes, a lot uh, harder. I've just seen that TV Guide, uh, who reviewed the film, gave it one star out of four, and its comment was, the robots are just plain disappointing. Wow. As you rightly said earlier, I will never, ever watch this film again. (laughs) I've watched it three bloody times. Well, again, we've said this before as well. This would be a great film to watch with friends. If you've got friends who like sci-fi films, then it's great because you'll just end up shouting at the telly. Oh, especially when you hear the clippity-cloppity jingle-tapped feet in the pixie boots. Okay, so we've got one more film from 1954 to look at. Uh, So we shall see you next time when we will be digging in to Tobor the Great. Until then... Goodbye. Goodbye.